Good morning. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, Jonathan stole my introduction, but I am Mia. Um, I come to Mosaic. I've been here since 2018. Um, this place has become home. It's been a comfort. It's been really cool. My mom's been in town this weekend, um, and she's gotten to meet a lot of people um, and just see my community. And it's always fun because she gets like a little misty eyes. She's like, I'm just so glad that you have friends. <laughs> These are good people. <laughs> Um, and so when Jonathan and Kyle say, hey, we want to invite you to come speak, you're like, okay, I'm going to believe that they would do this and they're not doing this to make fun of me. So <laughs> um, this is my fourth time preaching um, and I am excited to be up here. I'm excited to speak on what I've been studying in Galatians this week. Um, during my prep time, Jonathan and Kyle expressed that the reason they thought this book would be fitting for this time is because Galatians is a New Testament letter which is written to a group of people at risk of losing the gospel to cultural norms, which is very fitting for us as a young church trying to learn how to follow Christ and not be jerks about it. Um, there's a lot of navigating um, tensions that I guess maybe we never thought we'd have to navigate before. Um, and so that's how I framed my talks. I've looked at Galatians. I've seen what the Galatians church was kind of wrestling with at the time and how that translates maybe more towards our modern sensibility. And so before we dive in, I'm going to pray. Lord, help. Um, would you use me to speak words um, that reflect your heart, that um, reflect your desire for us to cling to you, to be near to you, um, and to trust that Jesus did it all on the cross? Lord, um, would your Holy Spirit be alive and active in us? Would you give us ears to understand and hearts that listen and all of the things, Lord, and um, anything that's not of you, would you just kind of make everybody forget? Um, but would you enter us into a time of community with you? And it's your name that I pray. Amen. So reading through the specific passage, I personally see two areas that can be translated to like our modern era. Um, also, I'll be bouncing between like the NLT and the NIV translation. So if I like read something like that's not what it says up there. It's the, N it's the NLT, the New Living Translation. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so we're going to be first looking at verses 8 through 12. And I'm going to reread them for us. It says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So some backstory, if you haven't been with us in our Galatians journey, Paul accidentally came to Galatia, shared the good news about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and how that puts us in right standing with God. Um, and they chose to believe that that was enough, and they decided to put their trust in this gospel of Jesus Christ. But some teachers have come in and said that, nope, it's absolutely necessary for you to be circumcised and to follow all of these Jewish customs and have been given with the, like hit with this, do this and you will please God gospel, which is not the gospel at all. Um, and I don't know if they felt unprepared after Paul left um, or if a program felt more like it made sense because um, it was more reflective of their old life or the millions of reasons in between, but it seemed pretty easy for them to slip into this lifestyle um, and ultimately believe that following these days was for God's benefit versus really what it truly is, is for our benefits. Um, it wasn't increasing their worship of him. It was just a comfort for them in the midst of this unsettling time. 
Um, for me, for us, the world is scary, rejection is real. Sometimes the faith that we've been familiar with a lot of our life suddenly starts to feel really awkward, um, and we're just trying to find something to make it right. I remember being at Revelator um, a couple years ago, and Jonathan was like, how's life? And I was like, really annoying, because I'm trying to figure out this theology business, and I just wish God would just come down from heaven and just be like, this is how it all is. And, um, and then I could just come up with this 10-step plan, and I could figure it out. And he said, no, you don't, Mia, because if that was the case, you'd be following a little version of you and not this big God. Um, and so in the midst of feeling uncomfortable, we look for people to like welcome us in. We look for camps to join. Um, we try to find the people, like the cool with me Christians. Um, we, and we find comfort in the numbers around us and what everybody else is doing versus the actual gospel. We slip into habits and routines and start to preach to ourselves, if I could just understand this concept better, or if I could just be more faithful here, if I could serve enough, it'll be okay. If I just show up to small group in church on Sunday, I think I'll be okay. If I get myself in check, and don't actually look at things too, too deeply, then maybe, just maybe, I'll feel like God isn't looking at me with a skeptical eye, like making sure, like, am I doing enough? Um, but the problem with this tension is that um, going back, they're going back to a system that didn't even work in the first place. Uh, verse 10 in the New Living Translation says, you are doing this to try and earn favor with God, um, with something that didn't even earn favor with God in the first place. Um, what was the point of the law? To make it possible for us to interact with him, plain and simple. Our sin separated us from the Lord. God gave us the law to be purified so he could like talk to us. Um, I don't think he super loved that. I mean, in Psalm 51, David says, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken heart. He's always wanted our heart. Um, even when they talk about circumcision in the Old Testament, it's like a circumcision of a heart, like sacrifice your heart to the Lord. Um, there's a verse in Deuteronomy that says, there are two paths before you, life or death, so choose life. What pleases God is not necessarily the act of obedience, but choosing him, choosing life. And so it was backwards. They were like, I'll do this and it pleases God. And it's like, no, God is already... God is already pleased because of what Jesus has done on the cross, so I will do this um, in reverence of him uh, to spur my worship on. I think about how our church really is committed to Advent and Lent seasons and coming from a denomination that didn't do those. I was like, that's super legalistic. I'm not fasting for 40 days. You must have got your mind. Um, <laughs> but as, as I've grown and as I've learned more, um, it's not something I impose upon other people, but it is something that I've my heart is being understand like fasting creates space for the Lord, but it's not something that makes him love me more. So we have this first thing, didn't work. Number two, there is no life here. The NIV calls these little gods that we tend to serve, this performance God, you can say, that we tend to serve, weak and miserable. The ESV says weak and worthless. The NLT says weak and useless. Um, and so weak, weak, weak is very very potent there, um, because there is no power, there is no enablement from the Holy Spirit. It's just more and more toil. There is no, there is no, it's miserable, it's worthless, it's useless, because there's no inheritance. Last week, Jonathan talked about um, that the gospel invites us to be sons, to receive an inheritance from the Lord, but when we allow ourselves to become enslaved, it's a rejection of that inheritance. Um, and so we are stuck in life as outsiders. Um, it's a life doomed to repeat the same old patterns and be stuck with who you used to be, which I don't think we would have tried to abandon if it was all that great in the first place. Um, and 
as we continue to do this, it will continue to be exhausting because later in chapter five, Paul is like, you better do this all right because when it comes time, you will be dependent on all of your actions and not dependent on the grace of the Lord. And so the peace that you think you have from whatever system, camp, program, performance, schedule you find yourself in is undercut by the paralyzing fear that if I don't, act, if I don't ex execute this exactly, it's not gonna work. Um, I think this temptation is especially dangerous and really easy for us to slip into in our girl boss, hustle culture, bleeding hearts, empathy um, culture because it's virtually impossible to see how performance overtakes our life because performance is what determines your value ultimately. Um, as Enneagram 2, being needed um, and, <laughs> and having people need me to do things is like, I'm like, yes, that's, that's, that's how I know people love me. And I'm like, that's not, that really clouds my vision because people love me no matter what. Um, that's not, well, yeah, anyways, we'll move on. I won't caveat that, it's fine. <laughs> um, it's really easy to slip into the comforts of my old flesh and slap out the word biblical, biblical womanhood, biblical leadership, um, just to like make myself feel better. Um, and we can kind of see it in ourselves, but we really see it in others. Well, like that person thinks that they're doing a follow in the Bible, but I really know. And it's like, do you really understand? I don't think so. Um, and we just say like, I'm just trying to do what God says, but really that's a plight to like ease the pain of what's really there when the initial like, oh, I, you know, new year, new me kind of wears off. You realize that you're tired and it all seems the same and everything seems meaningless. Um, you just kind of feel like you're slipping in quicksand. And so on one hand, we have this temptation to squeeze everything so tightly, to know and understand everything um, coming in and out. And then what's going on in the other hand, um, and that's in verses 16 through 18. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. Paul is really frustrated because at one point these people who cared about him um, have now been pulled away and they hate Paul for speaking truth. Um, and not only are they being haters, um, he's also trying to show them that these teachers want you to like them so bad um, that they're going to isolate you, that they're going to make sure that you don't have any other voices speaking into this. And they don't want you to be zealous over anything except for them, but the part that they're not seeing is that these teachers are pressing so hard is because they want to win the approval from the Jewish authorities. Um, they want to be well-received by them. Like, look at them, look at all those converts they made, um, instead of really wanting the wishes of, or like respecting like the gospel and um, wanting to see the Galatians thrive. And so I think the temptation here is for us to be so flexible and winsome that we become like these teachers, trying to be well-received by others, um, or making ourselves, um, making it easy for us to receive others, that we become really flexible as well. Um, and the consequence of that is there's really no truth. Um, they've gotten swept up and so Paul chooses to speak sternly to them to point where he even says later on, I want to change my tone and say this differently, but I'm not going to because the message is so important. When I was prepping with Jonathan and Kyle, Kyle said something very enlightening. He does that sometimes. Um, he said, it's really isolating and intimate to stand before people and say, this is what I believe God is saying. And I was like, that... That, that, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and not only is it saying, I believe that this is what God is saying, but Paul is saying, what I think you believe about God is actually wrong. Um, 
Now, if I was in this situation, I'll speak for myself, and I'll say I'd vomit. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> I would think it. I would say it to other people. I'd be like, don't you think the Galatians are kind of, you know, straying away a little bit? But to say it to the group of people would be really hard. I mean, being invited into this space alone, and I, you guys, like, agree with me on most things, if not all things. I'm like, nah, I don't know if I want to do this again. <laughs> um, because... It's like borderline impossible to say this is too important to miss and I will tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it because we want to be received well. We want people to love us and care about us and we don't want to be rejected and we don't want to reject other people. In this day and age, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who hasn't been hurt by Christians or who hasn't been hurt by the church. And so to be like, this is the truth, I need you to engage with me on this and like, I need you to hear me even if you don't want to, like, feels really, it, it is really hard. It doesn't feel like it really, it is really hard. Um, you have to die to that part of yourself, and it literally feels like death. Um, and so sometimes we see our friends and our families drifting, becoming complacent or apathetic, clinging too tightly to performance or specific ideology, moving away from the gospel of Christ, a lot of the times into just cynicism of the world. Um, and then sometimes our families and friends see it in us, and we all have to have the boldness and an urgent need to speak up to say, I don't care. If you don't want to hear this, I want to speak this. It's too important to miss. Now, I told myself I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't get up here and caveat anything. But here we are, caveating. Um, truth speaking isn't only about speaking the truth. I think it can be really easy to read this passage and be like, well, that's just the way it is. I just got to tell people the truth. Um, and Paul never does that Like in any of his letters. He speaks boldly. He speaks forwardly. Sometimes he speaks in run-on sentences. Um, but he always, he always is speaking uh, the truth, and it's always surrounded and covered by the gospel, and he usually always knows the people really well. He knows the Galatians really well. They're willing to give him the, their eyeballs. Like, he was like, here's take my eyeballs, and so, so he knows them really well. Um, th and there is a difference between calling someone out to, like, let them know their junk and just leave them in it, um, and calling someone to look up to invite them into the, like, into repentance and a turning away and into the arms of the Father. Um, and so that's my caveat to that. Make sure when you're speaking truth, you're speaking truth to people you actually know. Um, so these are our two warnings, slipping into performance and letting a winsome personality direct your choices. And then as I was reading this, I saw some warning signs that signal when we are moving there. Um, in verses 14 and 15, I think we see a hate for people we once loved. It says, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? Um, the gospel has called us at times to like leave our families, leave people behind, but I do not believe that the gospel has ever called us to hate someone. Um, it calls us not to hate our enemy, let alone somebody we once loved. Um, we can be frustrated, and we can be disappointed, and we can be heartbroken, um, but we never hate. And if, you, if whatever you're listening to is causing you to be like, I hate that person, like, you probably need to think about what you're being fed. In verse 17, we see um, this push towards isolation. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. When we start to get into an echo chamber and there are no voices that sound different than our voices, that should tell you something's up um, because we were never called to be away from the world, maybe set apart, but never away. Um, definitely called to be different, but still here. There used to be a student involved in crew. Um, 
and this is confession, he was one of the most annoying students I've ever interacted with on a regular basis. He just was just so frustrating. We, he, wasn't, he wasn't a believer and he would like take communion. I was like, don't, don't take communion. And he was like, but I like juice. And I was like, that is not the point. Um, <laughs> and he would just like fight with us on everything. And like, I confess, like in my heart, I was like, Lord, bring some other Christians in his life because I am tired. Um, but then I saw what it was doing to my students and what it was doing to me. And sometimes it was really frustrating, but there was this sanctifying part where it, it made me examine all of the things I believed. He asked me, like, what is the Trinity? And it's like, I knew the Trinity, but I could not articulate the Trinity. I can't say I can articulate it any better now, but I did a lot more research on it to try to figure it out. Like, to not be in a space that where everybody thinks the same thing as you do allows you to see more and more of the gospel, allows you to dig deeper into questions, allows you to ask questions yourself because you're like, oh, if I'm receiving his questions, will not the others around me receive mine? Will the Lord not receive mine? I'm just, I just want to make sure that you're not in an isolated echo chamber. And then the third warning sign I saw was inconsistency. In verse 18, it says, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. Um, if anybody's been in a high school youth group, you've heard about chasing the mountaintop experiences. Um, I started going to crew when I was a college student because they were the place with the good worship. They played all the songs with the big bridges, and that's when I felt closest <laughs> to the Lord. I was like, give me all the bridges. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you go and you hear the song and then you leave, and are you actually changed? Is anything different? Because worship songs don't change you. Um, being really hype, fist pumping at, you know, a worship concert, like, doesn't change you, but the gospel does. Um, and so when you, I'm not saying there's not an ebb and flow, but there is an ebb and flow in your relationship with the Lord, or in your maybe zeal for the Lord, but it shouldn't be like, <laughs> like there is consistency with Christ because Christ is consistent. And so as we find ourselves in these uncertain times, and we see that the comfort of a system isn't the gospel, um, or allowing ourselves to get swept up in what feels most winsome isn't going to give us the results our, we want. Um, and we see that the world is still noisy and the insides of our head are even noisier. Um, it's easy to take a passage and be like, well, what now? You told me all the things I shouldn't do. What should I do? Um, and in the midst of these warnings and frustrations, I also see Paul share so much of what God is inviting us into. Um, with verse 18, he says, like, do live a life of zeal, zeal, great energy in pursuit of something. Just make sure it's the right thing. Like, be excited, move forward in life, be passionate about it. In verse 15 in the NLT, he says, where was your joyful and grateful spirit? Insinuating that at one time they did have that. He's inviting us to gratefulness and joy and all the other fruits of the spirit. Um, but most importantly, in my opinion, um, in verse 9, he says, Do you, real you realize you follow a God who actually knows you. As humans, we have this deep desire to be known and to be loved. One of my favorite quotes is by Tim Keller. Um, it says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved like God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from our pretenses, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. The being known makes all the wandering, wandering and seeking worth it. The serving of all those little g-gods from the beginning um, and just, is just like throwing it all out there and hoping that they cared enough to hear your voice and cared enough to act. 
um, but not with our God, not with our Lord. There is certainty because we are known, and it's even better because it's all-encompassing, because before he knew us, he loved us, and after he knew us, he loved us. It's like God loves you and he likes you. It's crazy. Um, because him seeing and knowing and loving us was always based on his character, not ours. Um, there is no truth. There is, oh, this is the truth. There is truth. Not there is no truth. There is truth. This is the truth, that there is no camp secure enough, earthly performance pure enough, no earthly attention and affirmation sweet enough that can make God love you and see you more than he already does because of one thing, what Christ did on the cross. The veil was torn, and people never have to wonder again, does God see me? Does God love me? Am I doing this right? Because with all those questions, all those systems, all those observances, the contempt, the isolation, does it actually sound like the freedom promised in the gospel? Last summer, I had accepted the team leader role with crew and was going through all these trainings. Um, it was a rough summer, to say the least. Um, if you were on Christian Twitter at all, which it's a really dark place, don't go there. You would think it'd be really encouraging. It's awful, it's terrible. Me and Jonathan have expressed our scorn for it. <laughs> um, it really felt like the big C church was falling apart, like imploding. And you could be like, the church of Christ will never fail. And it's lived through so much more. But in the moment, when you're making like the biggest step of faith you've ever taken, really jumping in to faith and serving um, and leading a bunch of college students, when all this is happening, it could feel like the world was telling me this is the dumbest thing I had ever decided to do. And one Sunday, I don't even remember what the sermon was about. I think we were doing a First Corinthians series. I was standing like over in this corner and just trying to like keep it together. And of course, Rachel Mason just like walks over <laughs> um, and she says, how are you doing? And I just begin to cry um, because I'm scared and I'm overwhelmed and I just start like word vomiting. I have all of these fears, which, spoiler alert, all of them happen in the fall following, um, so it's not like I was crazy. <laughs> um, but that is a story for another day. Um, <laughs> I'm really confused about my faith um, and what truth is, and I really do believe that I'm called to be this team leader at the University of Alabama, uh, Birmingham. But I also am like, what if I've sold my soul to this little G God of the evangelical church? Um, and how am I supposed to lead a movement of college students when I can't even figure this out for myself? And so Rachel Mason does what Rachel Mason does best, and she listens, and then she prays. And I don't remember much of it, but the Holy Spirit did highlight one specific part. And she prayed, as much as she wants to get it right for everyone else, remind her that, Lord, you have already gotten it right for her and for them. She's like super wise, right? <laughs> um, the band can go ahead and make their way back up. The Lord has gotten it right. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free, so stand firm, therefore, and no longer allow yourselves to be burdened by the yoke of slavery. It's already right. We are already free. It is already done. The life that the Galatians began pursuing was no life at all. Paul says, become like me, into the good, like walk into the good news that we have been set free and that we can actually experience that freedom now, this side of heaven. The life of a believer is not one without troubles, but it should not be defined by the burden sh shouldered alone or uneasiness that caused you to be ripped apart by fear. 
It should not be a life unmarked by joy. Yes, there will be questions and distractions and learning and unlearning, and yet we are invited to take this choice to stand firm in the freedom that Christ has offered, given, invited us to through the cross, and that will never be taken away from us. We've been invited to walk free and light into this crazy, unknown, yet really certain adventure with the only true consistent thing out there, Jesus Christ. The band is going to play a song, and we are going to have time to respond through communion, a time to stop and look up at the cross and shake up all the things, pulling us in all the directions, and remember what got us all here. You'll come, grab the elements, and Jonathan will lead us through taking them after the song. So come to the table, take the burden of performance and apathy and uncertainty and trade it for life. Receive this gift of God given for the people of God. I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for your spirit that lives inside of communities, that speaks truth, um, that cuts through all of the noise that says, hey, I see you. Hey, I know you. Hey, I love you and hey, I'm with you. I have not abandoned or forsaken you but I'm just as near to you as I was at the beginning, even if that feels so far and so distant. Lord, I thank you that the cross is always there for us to turn back to, to sit at, to wait for you at, Lord. And I just pray that you would, yeah, continue to remind us of that. Would you continue to help us believe that you are a God that knows us, and that your son did do it all, that you've already made it right, and that there's no more need for us to strive to get it right. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us into this crazy adventure. It's your name that I pray. Amen.